1: importance that we're prepared to go into any ministry. I don't care what it is you're doing. We called for a meeting for the nursery school. You need to be prepared to go into a ministry for the nursery, to the children, to hand out bulletins, to do whatever. You need to be prepared because it's ministry. And when you're working for the Lord, it's ministry. I don't care what it is. You need to be prepared. Your heart needs to be right. It's especially important that you're equipped with the Holy Spirit because if you step out without the Holy Spirit, it's
0: disastrous. Join us for a life-changing message from Pastor Dave. Hear powerful discoveries on how to find truth amidst challenges. Regardless of your beliefs, God's perfect love will touch your heart and show you who Jesus is. Get ready to be inspired and be set free by God's free gift of grace. Discover His timeless wisdom. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 13 as he begins his message. Paul's First Sermon, Preparation.
1: working our way through the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. We're in chapter 13, and we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 23. So if you will turn in your Bibles to those particular chapters and verses. But when they departed from Persia, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have a word, any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel, the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, He raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus. To start a discussion with his youth group, this youth pastor asked several questions. How well are you prepared, he asked. What would you do if the doctor told you you had 24 hours to live? Many of the teens began to speak and discuss what was on their minds. Some said they would spend the remaining time with their families, others with their friends. Some actually said they would spend the time divided between their family and friends, and yes, some even said they would pray. The discussion was going rather well, and the youth pastor was very encouraged until he looked over at Jason, a bright 13-year-old, and shook his head. He asked, and Jason asked him, do you want to know what I would do if the doctor told me I had 24 hours to live? The youth pastor replied, yes, Jason, what would you do? Jason smiled and said, I know what I would do. I'd get a second opinion. I'm sure that all of us have been in preparation mode at some time or the other. All of us know what it feels like to prepare or to get prepared. Whether you were studying for that final exam in school, oh, you remember the all-nighters. Whether you were studying for school or whether you're preparing for a trip or preparing for visitors from relatives, you had times of preparation in your life. Maybe you remember you were preparing for your wedding day or a particular holiday. You know, to prepare means to make ready for a particular Purpose. things like preparing the soil for the crops to grow, or preparing the troops for a particular mission, or in a biblical sense, it's a preparation against evil and a help in securing good. In other words, preparation is an act of readiness, an act of readiness. In this section of, the, of the, chapter 13, where we're at right now, we're going to study Paul's very first recorded sermon. This is Paul's first time he gets up and he actually speaks. I've divided this into three parts. It's so lengthy. But the first part is called preparation. That's in Acts 13, verses 14 through 23. The second part is called the declaration. That'll be next week in Acts 26 through 37. And then finally, the last part of his sermon is called the application, and that's in Acts 13, 38 through 41. Today, we're going to look at the first part of Paul's sermon called The Preparation. So as Paul and his group, Barnabas and young John Mark, when they entered the mission field, we saw that one of them was not very prepared for what lied ahead. We read in Acts 13.13, and John, departing from then, returned to Jerusalem. The great victory secured over the evil sorcerer, Elymas, Resulted in salvation for Sergius Paulus and his entire family. We read that last week in Acts thirteen at the beginning. But it also was a casualty. there was also a casualty. John Mark left the mission field. As we discussed in the past, preparation for ministry is extremely important. We know from Scripture that the Apostle Paul spent many years being taught by the great teacher, the Rabbi Gamaliel. Paul also needed to be taught by Jesus after his conversion to Christianity. We read in Galatians uh, chapter, um, I think it's chapter 4, where Paul spent three years in Arabia and is believed that during this time, he was actually taught by Jesus Christ himself. So Paul, we know, was well-prepared. We know that Barnabas was well-prepared. Barnabas was called the son of encouragement by the apostles themselves, and he comes on the scene in Acts 4, 36-37. He received his name, as I said, the apostles named him the son of encouragement. So he was well-rooted and grounded. He was a highly respected man of the faith, and he was actually sent by the church of Jerusalem to Antioch. He was sent there to admonish them, to encourage them in their faith. Remember what he told the church in Antioch? He turned to church in Antioch, he told them this, purpose in your heart to continue in the Lord. Remember that when we talked about that? Now, This is great, solid counsel, even for today, even for us who are Christians today, to purpose in our heart, make a solid decision in our heart that we are going to continue in the ways of the Lord, not in the ways of man. We're not going to be swayed to the right or to the left. We're going to continue into the Lord and continue to follow Him. This is sound counsel. We're not going to look back. We are going to press ever onward. And remember, it was Barnabas who actually went and sought Paul out in Arabia and brought him back to Antioch. He brought him back to Antioch to help him in the ministry. So we know that Barnabas was prepared. The only thing we know about John Mark at this time is what we read in Acts 12. It was at his mother's house that the group was praying for Peter when Peter was in prison. That's all we know about him. We don't know anything else, but The greatest commentary on the Bible is the Bible, as we've said before. We know in Colossians 4.10 that John Mark was Barnabas' cousin. We spoke about that last week. We're going to learn more about John Mark as we go along through the rest of the book of Acts. Obviously, John Mark was not prepared for the ministry, but he went along anyhow. The trip must have been overwhelming to him. It was long. It was arduous. The battle he witnessed against good and evil must have set him over the edge because he returned home. At least that's what it appears to be. We don't really know why he left. It doesn't say, so we can't put something in there. We can only um, surmise. But it's interesting because in verse 13, we see the order that the names appear changed from Paul's name that appears at the front. It's changed from Barnabas's. When they were called into the ministry, remember, when they were called into the ministry, they called Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul, that's who went. And now when you read in Acts 13, it says, Paul and his company. Paul and his company. Well, remember, John Mark was Barnabas' cousin. And many, many scholars believe that it was Paul taking over that John Mark got mad at because his cousin was no longer the head honcho. Paul was down. Many people believe that's why John Mark left again summation. We can't know. We don't know for sure. When you get to heaven, ask them, hey, John Mark, why'd you leave? I don't know. We can't. We don't know. We don't know. Whatever it was, though, it was major. It was major because Paul didn't like it. He didn't appreciate what John Mark did, because pretty soon we're going to be reading when they go out on the secondary, second missionary journey, Barnabas comes along, and there's John Mark right beside him, and Paul says, no, he's not going. He's not going. I'm not taking him. And they have this huge fight It's huge things to the point of separation. Paul goes this way with Silas and Luke and Timothy and the gang. Barnabas goes that way with John Mark. Now, we know from readings that Barnabas had a very, very successful ministry along with John Mark. We know that they did a wonderful work out there for the Lord. And, of course, the entire book of Acts is about Paul's journey and what Paul did. So the Lord uses every single thing that happens, every single thing the Lord uses constantly for why? For his glory. For his glory. Not man's glory, for his glory. And that's what we count on because later on in Paul's writing, when he's writing in 2 Timothy, he asks for John Mark specifically. Send John Mark to me, he says, because he's helpful in the ministry. Paul realizes and and wants John Mark back in there. And, of course, you know, because I've told you many times, the author of the Gospel of Mark is John Mark. John Mark. So the Lord does wonderful things. And we've talked about this, this, this preparation needed for ministry. It's vital importance that we're prepared to go into any ministry. I don't care what it is you're doing. We called for a meeting for the nursery school. You need to be prepared to go into a ministry for the nursery, to the children, to hand out bulletins, to do whatever. You need to be prepared because it's ministry. And when you're working for the Lord, it's ministry. I don't care what it is. You need to be prepared. Your heart needs to be right. It's especially important that you're equipped with the Holy Spirit because if you step out without the Holy Spirit, it's disastrous. It's disastrous. This is another thing that people think that Mark, John Mark didn't have. He wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit like the rest. Again, we don't know. We do know the Holy Spirit came down upon the group and told them to send out this group, so I don't know. But he only said, separate from me, Paul, Barnabas, and Saul. But as we come to today's study, we find the group making their way to another Antioch where they would speak in the synagogue. You know, there are actually five cities called Antioch in the ancient world. This happens to be the one in Pisidia. It says in verse 14, but when they departed from Persia, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. This would become Paul's mode of operation. He would enter a city. He would look for the synagogue, the local synagogue, and he would go in there and he would wait until he was called upon and he would preach Jesus Christ to the Jews. Always to the Jews first. He would always go there. This was not out of preference because Paul was a Jew. It was not out of preference. It was out of precedent. This was God's order. This was God's order. Paul says this very same thing in Romans 1.16. You probably repeat it with me. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone believes. For the Jew first, and then to the Greeks. The Greeks is the Gentile world, the non-Jews. The gospel came to the Jews first. Jesus spoke about being sent to the lost sheep of Israel. But with Israel's rejection of the gospel, it was given to the Greeks. It was given to the Gentiles' nation, a nation that wasn't his own, a nation that wasn't called his, would come in. Paul, again, speaks of this in Romans 2, verses 1 through 11. Here, the apostle is making a case for the Savior as a way to escape the judgment of God. He's making a case, and he says, man is inexcusable for not knowing God. Man is without excuse when it comes to not knowing God. He says, but this inexcusable condition came to the Jew first. Listen to these these passages in verses 1 through 11 in chapter 2 of Romans. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And you do this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God. Do you think this? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one, according to his deeds, eternal life, to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, but those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good, for the Jew first and also the Greek, for there's no partiality in God. So Paul's making his case as to why he goes into the synagogue all the time and stands before the Jews first to preach his case. When they don't accept him, he goes immediately to the Gentiles. And there will come a time when he just goes to the Gentile. Why the Jew first? Because God chose them. God chose them. They've been chosen. They've been given the promise of the Messiah. They've been given preparation for the Messiah. And this is the point where Paul is going to. The Jews had been given preparation for the Messiah. Next verse in 15 says, After the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and motioned with his hands and said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. I just got a thought. Something about talking with your hands. I don't know. Paul stood up, he started talking with his hands. Right, yeah, I could make some comments, but I'm just gonna move right through that. So Paul stands in the midst of the synagogue. He stands in the midst of the synagogue and he begins to speak. Was he prepared? Did he have something that he was going to say? Did he come with things ready to say that? No. What was he prepared with? He was prepared with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all he had. He had the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember when Jesus told the disciples in Luke 12, verses 11 to 12? Now, when they bring you into the synagogues and the magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how you will answer or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. A great Bible expositor, David Gusick, says this. This is an exhortation to trust God, not your eloquence. It is not an excuse for poor preparation in preaching and teaching. But we need to trust God in our words in times like this. Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will be, you when they, will be with you when they put you on trial. He will give you the right words to say. Paul is not on trial here, but you get the point. When you stand up to speak for the Lord and the Holy Spirit is with you, you ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance, he will give you the words that are necessary to say. And sometimes after you've spoken the word, the word of the Lord, you think back on it and you go, what did I say? Well, you don't know because it wasn't you who were doing the speaking. It wasn't your mind that was conjuring up as the Holy Spirit that was giving you utterance as you speak, things come out. I'm sure it's happened to you. It's happened to me a lot. Paul begins this sermon by reviewing the history of the nation Israel. He's going to zero in on the fact that Israel was prepared by God to receive the Messiah. We talked about that on on, on, um, Palm Sunday where Jesus held them accountable. You should have known it was me because of the prophets, and you should have known who this was. Paul's basically saying the same thing. But it's interesting here that Paul's very first sermon sounds a lot like Stephen's sermon, which happened 14 years before this. Remember back in Acts 7 when we went over Stephen's sermon? Paul's doing the same thing. He's starting out with the history, the patriarchs, all the way to David makes one wonder just how much influence Stephen had on Paul that day. makes one wonder how much influence Stephen remember. Paul was there. Paul was part of the Sanhedrin. He heard everything Stephen had to say. He witnessed it. Remember when they were stoning Stephen? who was holding their clothes? Paul. So he heard everything. He heard everything. How much word, how much did effect did these words now have on Paul? How much do they affect? Well, Isaiah 55 verse 11 tells you, the Lord says to the prophet Isaiah, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing where I sent it. God's word will never return void. God's word always go back. And whether we see the fruit of it immediately or if we ever see the fruit of it, We're not to worry about it. God's Word goes forth. It goes forth boldly, and it hits the hearts that it's prepared to hit, and it does the work it's prepared to do. What is our job? Let it do what it wants to do and be aware that it's doing it. The writer of Hebrews says this, "'For the Word of God is living and powerful "'and sharper than any two-edged sword, "'piercing even the division of the soul and the spirit.'" And the joints and the marrow, and is the discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. We must have faith in God's word and allow it to accomplish that what God wants to accomplish. Speaking of preparation, we've talked about this before. We should come into a setting like this with our hearts prepared. With our hearts prepared. Lord, what do you have for me today? I'm struggling in this area, Lord, and I don't can't deal with it. I need your word. I need to hear something from you. And if our hearts are prepared to come in, I guarantee you will receive something that is just for you. You will receive something that will give you and get you through that time. We must have faith to allow God to do what he wants to do or what he thinks need to be done, not what we think we need to be done. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Paul tells his young pastor Timothy, his dear beloved son in the faith, he says this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why, you might ask? That the man of God be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's the word of God that works effectively in you doing the good work that you need to do as we apply the word of God to our life. See, that's what James said. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Not only are we to take the word of God in, no longer are we to chew on it, remember? Meditate, chew your cud. No longer are we to chew on it and delight in it, but then we gotta take it and apply it to our lives. We need to apply the word of God to our lives. We need to make it real in our lives. It has to be real to us. If it's not real, it doesn't work for us or anything. So Paul recounts Israel's history and speaking of their preparation. He continues in verses 18 and 19. Now for about a time of 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness and when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. It's interesting here because the old original King James said, suffered, be, uh, suffered he their manners. God suffered he their manners with the nation Israel. And this phrase is a really unique Hebrew idiom. It can either mean to feed or to put up with. Now, my new King James says he put up with it. So what did he do? Did he feed them or did he put up with it? Well, God did both. God fed them in the wilderness when there was no food. He clothed them in the wilderness when there was no clothes. He constantly took care of them in the wilderness, but he put up with their whining, their complaining, their things, their rebellion. He put up with it. So you can use both things. God's long-suffering. God is long-suffering. You are sure.
0: You've been listening to Pastor Dave on Assure Hope. Pastor Dave is working his way through the book of Acts. Did you know that the first martyr for Jesus was a great man of faith? His name was Stephen, and he was bold and courageous to proclaim the name of Jesus to others. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth, even when it cost him his life. What courage in the midst of opposition! Do you think you could do the same in this day and age? It's hard to stand up for Jesus when everyone around you is telling you you're intolerant, unloving, and just looking to put people down if you tell them they're doing something wrong. But what makes things right or wrong is firmly rooted in Scripture. It's God's Word that should direct morality, and Stephen was unafraid to go there. If you liked this message and would like to catch up on any message you may have missed, head over to assurehoperadio.com. There you'll find many messages from the Book of Acts, as well as other series. If you find yourself in the Cape May, New Jersey area, stop in and see us. All the information you need is on our website, location, directions, and service times. And if you prefer to call, you can do that too. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that's 609-884-5821. We'd be happy to answer any questions over the phone. Well, that's all we have time for today but we've loved spending this time with you. We look forward to the next edition of A Sure Hope.